Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day. Thrilled to be here. Today, I'm really excited. One of the things we've wanted to do here at Westside, especially in this season, is to uh, share some stories about the life and the faith and what God has done in the lives of many of our people as we get to know each other, continue to build community, and just to be encouraged by what God is doing in our lives. So today on Mother's Day, I'm really excited because I'm going to interview my mom, now, this is Shirlene Steimers. Uh, many of you will uh, recognize her. She actually leads our greeting team, so you uh, probably have seen her if you've been uh, for a little while at the back coming in on your way in or on your way out. Um, but we're excited, and Mama, we want to talk today about your life, your experiences about faith and what God has done in your life and continues to do in your life. Uh, you are a mother of three grown children. I'm one of them. Why don't you tell everyone which of your children you love the most? <laughs> No, wait, this is on YouTube, so my siblings could watch. I know, so I'm going to pass on that. So no. we won't say anything, but we... No. We know. <laughs> we know the answer. It's fine. Okay, let's get into uh, a little bit about your story. So why don't you start, Mom? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your childhood, uh, and, and how you came to know Jesus through that time. Okay, well, I guess I need to start right at the very beginning, because it... Uh, kind of lays the groundwork and was a pretty significant part of my growing up. I was um, born into a family of four. I was the fourth of four, and um, it was never spoken, never said out loud, but I don't think they were jumping up and down when they found out I was on my way. And that's because my brother was 19, and, um, and there were two sisters in between us all spread out. My father was 48. My mother was 42. And this really impacted um, my little life. I recently uh, said to my brother, um, that must have been really embarrassing when you're 19 and your mom is having a baby. And he said... Yes, it was. So, um, you know, the demographics of our family were, were kind of severe. And um, um, kind of looked like this. So um, my dad would go to work every day. He would um, leave the house early, 6 o'clock in the morning. And then my mom was a homemaker. I had a sister who was five years older than me. And she really didn't want to tag along sister around, so I don't even know where she was half the time. And um, uh, 6 o'clock every night, dinner was on the table, right after Gord Sinkler's news report. And after dinner, my mother would retreat to her sewing machine in the kitchen. My father would take the newspaper to the living room and watch TV all night. I would retreat down to the uh, cellar where there was a chalkboard, and I would teach my individual, or my invisible, pupils. Uh, and that was the routine until summertime. And then after dinner, I would just scoot right out the door until the uh, streetlights came on. So that was our day-to-day -day life. And then on Saturday, Dad would go to the liquor store. And he would pick up his stash for the weekend. And then he would hide it under the couch, he would hide it under the tub, he would hide it in the back porch, so it's all very accessible 
to have a little swig now and again. So by the time 7.30 came around, Don Messer's Jubilee was on before the hockey game. He was out cold. On Sunday, my mother would take me to Sunday school and church. And it was a wonderful Bible-teaching church. And there I would sometimes see my grandmother. So it was my dad's mom. And uh, it was the only grandparent that I knew, Grandma Campbell. And I was always thrilled to see her. When I would visit her at her house, she had a chair that she sat in in the living room. And tucked in the cushion of her chair was her Bible and a magnifying glass. And that silent um, little visual was very significant in my life to know my grandma reads her Bible. And so I uh, went to church every Sunday, and I then attended a girls' club on Friday nights when I got to be the right age. And on this one occasion, the teacher for that night was talking about the verse in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, where it says, Jesus is saying this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And at the end of her presentation, she asked if anybody wanted to respond to that. And I put up my hand. I was like, if I haven't chosen to be on the narrow road, I must be on the broad road. I want to be following Jesus. And we knelt in the church office that night, and I prayed to receive Christ. And it was a transforming moment in my life, even at the age of 11. And so... While that was happening in my life, my mother's health was fastly deteriorating. Uh, And again, nobody spoke of this. Um, My mother had trouble swallowing. She was choking on her food. She needed help getting out of a chair. And um, this rapidly got worse and worse, and I remember her being admitted for some tests to hospital, and we went to visit her. And uh, I was totally unprepared for this, but her whole head was covered in wires. Uh, And it was horrific for an 11-year-old kid to see this and not be told, like, what is is going on? And um, I had learned not to ask questions. My father was a very harsh man to me. And so I was told, you know, at the, at the table, there is to be no whistling, no singing, and don't tap your glass when you're stirring your chocolate milk. So I learned to be a very quiet kid and just keep under the radar. So um, that was a really tough time as uh, we tried to look after my mother at home for two years, and then the doctor came to our house and said, you can't look after her here anymore. I'm making arrangements for her to be put into a chronic care hospital. And I thought she had MS. Um, At this point, I'm getting up in the morning, getting dressed. Then I would have to pull my mom out of bed and get her dressed, help her downstairs, uh, make a soft-boiled egg, feed it to her, dash off to school, 
The lunch bell rings, I dash home, I try to make a, a bowl of soup for her, try to feed it to her, run back to school all in 40 minutes. And I remember thinking one day, does nobody see this? Like, nobody sees this. And, and so this was just kind of this individual or invisible um, life that I, I was, I was uh, leading. But I kept going to, uh, to church and Sunday school and girls club. And um, my mother was in this hospital for two years and then she passed away. So by then I'm 15, and um, at that point my father's drinking totally escalates. Um, he's, he drinks all the time, he uh, passes out where, wherever, he misses days of work, he falls and bruises his face, breaks his glasses. On one occasion I was uh, studying for an exam, and decided I would have a bath and go to bed. So I had one, one foot in the tub when I hear this tremendous crash. And so I get dressed, go downstairs. He's totally out on the, on the dining room floor. And so I call EMS to come because I honestly thought he was going to die there. Um, and so that became kind of the regular routine in my life. And um, it was a very dark time, my aunt uh, said to me at one time, I think that you should go to a church that has a really great young people's program. You need to meet some kids your own age. And she mentioned a couple of churches, and I knew the one I could walk to, and so I started to attend that, uh, that church in Toronto. And, um, you know, you're just hanging out with people. Uh, the young people used to sit in the balcony, and there was a very handsome usher up there. And um, pretty soon I was hanging out with Ted Steimers, <laughs> president of the young peoples. <laughs> so um, that Christmas, um, I wake... Young peoples have presidents? I never knew that. We, yeah, it was <laughs> a very organized thing back... Like, we're talking... This is the 70s, come on. So uh, very organized... And, uh, you know, we'd go skating, we'd hang out on Friday nights, and it was, it was terrific. There was a youth chorale. Those were the days of youth chorales, and we would do musical presentations, and I just thought, this is awesome. Um, that Christmas, I woke up on Christmas morning, and um, there was a very odd stillness in the, in the house, and I got up, and I looked down the hall, and my dad's bed was still made up. And I realized he didn't come home. I'm alone. And I kind of thought, who does that on Christmas? And so uh, I call up Ted Steimers. And I said, I'm all alone here. And he said, oh, hold on a minute. So he goes off the phone, comes back a few minutes later, and he says, my dad says for me to come and bring you up here. So he comes from the north end of Toronto to the south end of Toronto, picked me up. And I get back to his, his home, uh, so his mom and dad and two of his three brothers were, were there, and they're still in their pajamas, and um, we sit down together, and his dad reads the Christmas story from the Bible, and then they open their Christmas stockings, 
and they had a Christmas stocking for me. So while they were, while Ted was coming to get me, they had run around and put together this Christmas stocking. That was the first time in my life I had had a Christmas stocking. And um, yeah, I guess that, I guess that, that kind of clinched it there. <laughs> and that is one of my favorite family stories, not because it happened, I hate that it had to happen, uh, but three of my heroes, my grandfather, my father, and, and you coming together, and I can hear my grandpa just on the other end of that phone and saying to my dad, you better go get her. And that's yeah. so much of what our family, I think... And the oversized orange was of in course. that stocking. And we always got those ones for, from grandpa for always. Yeah. Okay, so some time goes by, and you and dad uh, get married... Uh, just before that, his mother passes away, uh, but that was a pivotal moment, changing the trajectory a little bit of, of where he was at and you were at, um, and then moves you guys into getting married and then a life of ministry and having a family. Why don't you tell us a bit about those years? So 1974, his mother was diagnosed with a, a tumor uh, in her chest that they said was inoperable, and... Um, she passed away in October of that year. We had gotten engaged in August, and so we were married the following April. And during that time, Ted was faced with a real crisis of faith. And he was, uh, at that time, studying at York University to go into business, and through this experience, he felt God was leading him into pastoral ministry and changed his courses then to a Master's of Divinity degree with Central Baptist Seminary and um, York University. So um, we were married for 26 years. Twelve of those years were spent here at Westside, and uh, there used to be a nice big uh, grand piano over here. That was my spot on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights. Um, I worked with Marg Mason, Brian's mom, uh, with Women's Coffee Hour, started an Awana program. I cooked for seniors' luncheons, and, and I loved it. I loved being a pastor's wife. And um, we were also confronted with um, the, the struggle of infertility, and I thought, uh, I'm never going to be a mom. And um, we went through a couple of really tough years uh, until, well, obviously, we got that sorted out. So here you are. <laughs> I thought that was too good to be true, you know, when Paul was born. Um, it was just, uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe God's goodness in my life. There were a lot of things that I didn't understand with that, with Ted's mom passing away, with my mom passing away, with my relationship with my father. And this verse was so important um, throughout this time. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And I, I saw that truth being worked out in my life. 
So you and dad had lots of good years, rich ministry uh, that were formative for me as well, uh, just growing up in that kind of environment. Um, but also then some difficult times hit, and one of those moments was when dad was diagnosed with leukemia. And I know that was huge, obviously, in our family and for the two of you. So tell us how you dealt with that. Uh, how did God shape your faith and grow you during that season, which was very difficult? Yeah, so we were stunned when he was diagnosed with leukemia, and uh, we weren't quite sure how, how to handle this. So we had dropped the kids off at Sunday school and drove to the, the waterfront to develop a strategy on how we were going to manage. And so we decided that we would spend the next week searching God in, the word, in his word and come back the next week. So one of, I guess this was my verse, Isaiah 41.10, I, I read to him, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And his verse was Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So we just marveled at the fact that both of us had this, these verses about the right hand of God, but we couldn't really figure out visually if I'm at his right hand, then he can't be at my right hand. And, you know, how, how can we put these two truths together? And then we just looked at each other and we said, you know what? This is how it looks. And God is going to be in our face as we go through this. And that's what we carried through that dark time. Well, things did not turn out as we had hoped and prayed. And um, we, we also had this, this verse uh, that we cling to, Psalm 139, 9 to 10. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And, uh, you know, I find, have found in my life, whenever I've had significant verses that have really touched me, that every once in a while, God gives you a whole uh, heavenly hug. And that, that truth in those verses come back. And so, um, so this is a little sidelight. We didn't talk about this. But a few years ago, I <laughs> had the opportunity to travel to Turkey and Greece with a Christian group to go to the sites of the Apostle Paul and the, the churches, the, the archaeological places there. So we went to Corinth and Ephesus and Laodicea. And so during that uh, trip it was going to be my birthday. So I thought, oh, I wonder where we're going to be on my birthday. And I looked up the itinerary, and it was going to be the island of Patmos. And so I thought, huh, I'm going to just refresh myself on the island, island of, of Patmos. And I started to read the first chapter of Revelation. And so uh, John, of course, wrote this vision that God had given him on the island of Patmos. And when you come to verse 17, he writes, When I saw him, that is Jesus, when I saw Jesus, 
I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. And I was like, wow, what a great birthday gift. That was my heavenly hug. <laughs> so, um, as we know, uh, Ted uh, had a grueling uh, treatment that was a bone marrow transplant and uh, very radical chemo. And um, he almost did not survive that initial part of it. And then as time went on, the new bone marrow was rejecting his body. And the, um, that treatment um, then is to treat you with steroids. And the steroids then suppress your immune system. And you're in this terrible cycle. And eventually, he uh, developed pneumonia and passed away. And I was not prepared for that at all. Um, I suddenly uh, didn't know what life looked like. I didn't know who I was. I wasn't a pastor's wife anymore. We didn't have life insurance. We didn't have mortgage insurance. And um, I had met with a friend who was an accountant, and he went over the budget. And at the end of figuring that out, he says, you're going to be $800 short a month. And I had a little job at Berkshire Investments with AIC. Um, it was not paying the bills. You guys all had your little jobs. And um, I would get up in the morning, and I would play this on my CD, this song from the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You are more than enough for me. Jehovah Rapha. You're my healer. By your stripes, I've been set free. Jehovah Shama, you are with me. You supply all of my needs. You are more than enough. You are more than enough. You are more than enough for me. And at the end of every month, there were six envelopes that would arrive in our mailbox. No note, no letter, just checks in the mail. And they added up to $875. And then our, our furnace broke down, and people were calling me just saying, what can I pray uh, about for you and your kids? And I said, well, I've got to figure out how to replace my furnace. And... Um, like, that's another big story, right? There was, so there's lots of sub-stories within the story here. So God bought me a furnace. Um, God bought me a, a clothes dryer. God fixed our car uh, for free. And it was amazing. God is a good, good God. He's faithful. And he's more than enough for me. Yes. And he's always been more than enough for our family. And it's remarkable how... Uh, you kept us going, uh, trusting that God was more than enough. Uh, for that, I'm truly grateful. Um, now, your life now, maybe just really briefly, as we run out of time, but tell people what life is like now. Well, now, um, I've, I've, for the last 20 years almost, I've had a career in real estate, which I never thought that was going to happen. I just amazed at how God has worked in my life and provided for me 
and um, I have no plans to retire. Um, so if you're selling your house <laughs> or need to buy something. <laughs> I have six wonderful grandchildren. Um, I, uh, life is good. Um, is it tough sometimes? Yep. And I have to pull out... I have to pull out that song sometimes, but I've learned that in the times of darkness, the truth that's found in Isaiah 45.3 is absolutely true. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord. And it's been true in my life. Mom, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for sharing your story and a bit of our family story. Um, and God has always been enough. What a beautiful, beautiful message. So happy Mother's Day. I love you. Thank you for being such an incredible mother through all the good times and all the tough times. Um, I'm going to quickly pray, and then I'm going to ask, ask Christy Latta to come up, and she's just going to share some encouragement with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, today our moms and grandmas, uh, aunts. We pray for the women in our congregation um, who serve us so well and care for us in all kinds of ways. Uh, we are thankful. We're thankful that you're more than enough, but you've worked through so many of these people uh, and women in our lives. And so uh, today, we, we are so grateful and say thank you. We pray now that you'd speak through Christy as she encourages us as we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. So for everyone who thought the service was done after Dave got down, <laughs> womp womp, sorry about that. <sighs> Good morning. One of my favorite questions in the Bible is found in John chapter 20. So Mary had come to the tomb looking for Jesus' body. Um, and what was probably the darkest time of her life. Three days earlier, she had watched Jesus die. Jesus, who had set her free from seven demons, Jesus, who had given her back her life, her identity and her purpose, Jesus, who she loved deeply and followed faithfully, and now he was dead. It must have been such a dark time for her. But Jesus came to Mary, and he asked her the question that could change everything for her and for us. Jesus asked her, Mary, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Notice that he didn't say, Mary, what are you looking for? Because in our darkest times, what is really easy to go to? What will fill the void? What will help um, delay the pain? What will distract for a little while? Jesus didn't ask what. And today, Jesus invites us, wherever we are at, to ask a who question that is similar to the one he asked Mary. Jesus, who do you want to be for me today? Who do you want to be for me in my present circumstances? Who do you want to be for me in my specific situation? 
You see, Jesus bore everything so that he could be everything because he is everything. Jesus bore everything so that he can be everything because he is everything. Jesus bore every sin so that he can be our Savior because he is Savior. Jesus bore every sickness, every disease, every weakness, every infirmity so that he could be our healer because he is healer. Jesus bore every worry, every fear, every stress, every anxiety, so that he could be our peace because he is peace. Who does Jesus want to be for you today? This is who Jesus is. Jesus is life. Jesus is freedom. Jesus is victory. Jesus is strength. Jesus is a stronghold. Jesus is a high tower. Jesus is our provider, our redeemer, our strength, our hope, our peace, our wholeness. This is who Jesus is. Who does Jesus want to be for you today? This isn't about making Jesus like a genie where you rub him right and then poof, everything's good. Everything turns out how you want it. Jesus is all about relationship. And the longing of his heart is that each of us would know him deeply, intimately, personally, experientially. Jesus is not one-dimensional. He is so multifaceted. And his desire and longing is that we would know him for ourselves in the very core of our being. He knows exactly what we need in the deepest place of our life. And he desires to be that for us so that we can know him more deeply. He knows who he needs to be for us in every circumstance, every circumstance of our lives. And so he invites us to ask him who he wants to be so that he can tell us, so that when, then we can experience him for ourselves in that way and know him more deeply. Jesus is absolutely everything we need for every single thing in our lives. He's everything we need for every single thing in our lives. He's who we need in our relationships. He's who we need in our work, in our play, in our darkness, in our fear, in our light, and in our joy. Who does Jesus want to be for you today? We often think that we know what is best, and then we pray from that place. But what if we stopped 
and ask Jesus, who do you want to be in this situation? And allow him to tell us who he knows he needs to be for us in that situation. And then we allow him and pray into it that way. In that way, we will come to know him more personally, more experientially, more deeply, and more intimately. Um, a number of months ago, I went through something that oh, it just left me so disappointed. I was so disappointed. And I went to Jesus, and I was telling him, and I'm so disappointed. And I said to him, and most of all, I'm disappointed with you because you could have changed it. It didn't have to be like this. You could have changed it. And Jesus said to me, Christy, ask me the who question, because I ask him this a lot. So I said, who do you want to be for me in this disappointment? And he said to me, I want to be your redeemer. I want to redeem it for you. It might not look when it's redeemed how you thought it would, but I will redeem it. I will be your redeemer. And so now, instead of focusing on the disappointment, I focus on who Jesus has said he will be. And every day, I'm saying, thank you that you're my redeemer. Thank you for how you're redeeming this. Thank you that I know you in a deeper way as my redeemer. And once you have experienced him in the way he wants to be for you, no scheme of hell or man can ever take that away from you because you know that you know that you know who Jesus is for you and your relationship with him has gone deeper has become more intimate and is more experiential because of who Jesus has been for you and that is the whole point to know Jesus in a deeper more intimate more personal way. Who does Jesus want to be for you today? You might be in a place that's really good today. Uh, life is good. You have no complaints. That's awesome. We celebrate that with you. But who does Jesus want to be for you in that? You might be in a place where your relationship with Jesus is kind of just, eh, it's kind of dry. You're doing your thing, and he can do his over here. But where, what does, who does Jesus want to be for you in that? Or like Mary, you might be in the darkest place of your life today. Who does Jesus want to be for you in that? In the chair in front of you on the rack, there's um, cue cards, and I invite you to take one and grab a pen. There's pens in the pockets of the chairs. And we're going to take a moment of absolute silence, and we're going to ask Jesus. You know what your circumstances are. You know what situation comes to mind this morning. But we're going to take a moment of complete silence and ask Jesus, who do you want to be for me in this?
And then listen for what he wants to say. And then write it down. And take that cue card home with you and put it up somewhere where you can see it every day. And begin to interact with Jesus as who he wants to be for you in your situation. So that you, by the end of that situation, will know him more intimately, more deeply, more personally, more experientially, because that's the point. So let's just take a moment of silence, and we can ask Jesus who he wants to be for us. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for our church family. The words from Ephesians chapter 1. I pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that you may grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deep and intimate knowledge of you. I pray that we would have the eyes of our hearts flooded with light so that we can know and understand the hope to which you have called us and how rich is your glorious inheritance in your saints, the set-apart ones. We ask this for your glory alone, Jesus. Amen.